Hey guys, Abel here, SSD, episode 61. And in this one, I would like to talk about cheat meals and cheat days. And I would like to talk about this topic because this is something that keeps returning in the form of different content forms, such as YouTube videos where people do 10,000 calorie challenges, which to me is honestly funny or ironic rather. I think that uh, with the magic of modern food, it's really not that hard to put down 10,000 calories in one day, unfortunately. And since there are a lot of interesting discussions floating around about the physiological and psychological implications of cheat meals, I thought this would be a good topic to talk about. So first of all, how would I define a cheat meal? Well, a cheat meal to me is a meal that is composed of foods and or contains quantities of foods that are generally not conducive to your goals, be it in fitness, but probably in life in general. Of course, now we know that there aren't inherently bad fattening foods and it all comes down to calorie balance at the end. But still, for most of us, something like a cheesecake is just not very conducive to what most of us want, whether we are into fitness and want abs, or even if we are just jam pop people who just don't want to get too fat. Because a piece of cheesecake that is loaded with sugar, fat, and not much of anything else contains a ton of calories that are packed into a small place for almost everybody except a small minority of people who have remarkably high calorie needs eating a cheesecake on a regular basis. Eating cheesecake on a regular basis means extra complications and added tweaks to your diet for you to be able to meet your energy needs and not overeat. Therefore, the phrasing from my end, not conducive to your goals. Next point, right after defining what a cheat meal is, do I think that one should only have foods that are directly benefiting their body composition goals? Hell no. I mean, we are not robots and Quite frankly, most of us are not even athletes. Most of us are just people who want to live a good, fun life, minimize the amount of regrets we have, and besides all of this, we want to look good and be healthy. And can the occasional cheat meal that has a bunch of tasty, pretty high calorie foods be a part of this game plan? Absolutely. So I'm not here to tell you that you should only eat nutrient-dense, high-protein foods that for the rest of your life with no exceptions. Thirdly, I want to further specify the types of cheat meals or cheat days that I'm going to be talking about in this case, and that is pre-planned, specifically designed meals or days in which the foods themselves or the act of overeating on those foods play the central role of the event. And here's what I mean by this. For example, I ate a lot of tasty foods during Christmas, New Year's, and for example, just the other day when I went out to a dinner with someone to a nice restaurant. And so if you look at a lot of the foods that I ate, many of them were high sugar, high fat, high calorie, low protein, low fiber, low satiety foods. So if we go by the definition of eating foods that are not conducive to my goals, I had a lot of cheat meals in December and January. However, eating those tasty foods was not the central focus point as far as what the goal of those events was for me. It was more of a side effect that just kind of happened in this instance. I went there to enjoy the pleasure of the company of the people that were there. And besides all of this, as an added bonus, we also had a lot of nice tasty foods. And of course, I was looking forward to eating those tasty stuff, but it was almost like a 
means to enhance the social experience. You know, all the conversations and interactions flow a little bit better when you're downing some tasty stuff in the meanwhile. It's like getting tipsy while you're talking to someone, but in this case, you're getting the hit in the head from the elevated dopamine levels as opposed to the alcohol. So why is it important to make this distinction? After all, the actual act that is taking place is the same, you could argue, right? You're doing the same thing, sitting at a table or moving in between tables and talking to people and eating food. Well, there are a few big differences. For one, when the goal of the event is to put down a whole bunch of tasty foods, then it means that those foods are kind of on a pedestal in your mind and that you're kind of glorifying them in a sense. Now, of course, cheesecake and cheesy french fries are on a pedestal to some degree in everyone's mind, but there's a certain level of for, for lack of a better term, mental submission that happens when you get into the mindset of, oh my God, I can't wait to eat X food. Because when you're of this mindset, that by definition for most people means that your day-to-day healthy body composition friendly nutrition is on some lower inferior level that you just don't enjoy as much. And that kind of outlook is problematic in general, not just with food, but with everything. Because our day-to-day, everyday existence is what composes the majority of our lives. This is where we live for the most part. So is it maintainable or sustainable in the long term if the everyday life where we spend the majority of our lives is something that we just look at as this sucky thing that we desperately need to take a break from? In my opinion and in my experience, when I look at the people who are successful in general, in fitness, in their jobs, in whatever they do day to day, the answer is no. You know, to use a work analogy, who do you generally see as more successful? Those that hate their jobs and are looking forward to the weekends and vacations as these periods of final relief? Or those that love their jobs and the day-to-day working process is something they get a lot of fulfillment from? Generally the latter. For these people, you know, their work life is like the battery life of a phone that is plugged into a computer to transfer some files. It's being used, but it's not using battery power because it's being charged while it's being used. For the people who hate their jobs and are living from weekend to weekend, they are usually in this chronically depleted state if we are using the phone analogy. Same thing with nutrition. Which people are generally more successful in the long term with maintaining a good six-pack and all that good stuff? Those that get enjoyment out of their day-to-day nutrition and don't need cheat meals as a means of recharging their batteries. Now, can it theoretically work that someone is just plowing through the week and living their life as a robot and then finally at the weekends they get some nice big feast with all the foods that they don't get to eat during the week and after that they say awesome that was good and you know the next week they just continue where they left off yeah those people do exist but those are the minority for most people this is just not a very workable plan so that's just as a general intro i think you get what my general stance on the matter is But with that, let's dive into the specific reasons as to why I think this, starting with the physiological limitations or implications rather, and then I'll touch on the psychological ones. So on the physiology part first, say every Sunday is a day when you're cheating. Well, then depending on the size of the meal and how big of an extra effort you're making to slam down a ton of calories, you may overconsume calories anywhere from a few hundred to a several thousand. 
you know, if you have, a, for example, a pizza at a restaurant, for example, a big pizza, and even some nice dessert afterwards, a couple of glasses of wine on that Sunday evening, you know, for that day, your calories will be over by, say, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 maybe, if you didn't modify nutrition at all on that given day. If you, say, decided to just eat some protein and fiber before that dinner to save up some calories for your evening meal, then you might be over by a few hundred, or you might not be over your caloric needs at all. Or maybe you just eat slightly lighter during the day and slightly lighter in the following day, and you might have completely undone all the damage. So one meal from purely a physiological sense, generally really not a big deal. Now, if you sit down with the intent of, I'm going to, for this particular meal, load up on all the foods I craved for the past two months, I mean, the damage you can create there, there is probably some practical cap on it, as at some point your GI tract is just going to start rejecting stuff if you keep pounding food beyond a certain point. But if you start loading up on especially high-calorie, low-volume foods that are super tasty, you can put down several thousand calories worth of food. So at this point, we are not talking about something that you can just auto-regulate by some minor modifications in your nutrition for the rest of the day. If you put together some food porn concoction of french fry this, ice cream that, and peanut butter from the jar this, and donuts that you could easily cause yourself a week or two weeks worth of dieting. And if we are talking about actual cheat days, then, oh my God, like basically the sky is the limit. You know, Jeff Nipper did a video on a 10,000 calorie challenge and other people have done it too, but at the end of it, he concluded that even though he ate like 7,000 calories over his regular maintenance, because of various physiological upregulations and inefficiencies, he only gained like half a pound. So what, like less than 2,000 calories worth of fat from that day. Uh, I think <laughs> a lot of experts on metabolism would strongly contest this rather optimistic analysis. I think many would say that it's closer to like two pounds gained in that day. But at any rate, the problem is, is that, that that's unfortunately not even important. As with modern food, with the amount of calories we are now able to stuff into a small place and how tasty we are able to make these calorie bombs, by this point, there is a very loose cap on how many calories you can stuff down over the course of a single meal, let alone in, in an entire day. So in short, really overboard cheat meals and especially cheat days that are designed to really go for it from purely a physiological perspective are simply impractical for most people. They are more than enough, even if you do them as infrequently as every one or two weeks, to steadily to steadily make you gain weight if you don't modify things significantly for the remainder of the time. Or to basically force you into a permacutting cycle where you're in a constant need of keeping yourself in a caloric deficit to balance out the negative effects of the cheat meal or binge rather. So with that, let's segue into the psychological effects because really this is where for me the money really is when it comes to nutrition. You know, in terms of physiology, we can talk about a lot of cool nitty gritty stuff, but ultimately until the medical industry develops some super drugs that will eliminate hunger, cravings, or block calories from being absorbed, 
your habits and mindset is what's going to be the dominant factor here because nutrition will be with you for the rest of your life. So what are the real life implications of a cheat meal or cheat day from a psychological perspective? And once again, here I mean pre-planned food indulgences in which you're specifically going for the act of overeating on those foods. So I'm not talking about going out to a restaurant with your friends or take part in a family dinner where you say like, ah, fuck it, I'm gonna live a little. I'm talking about something along the lines of going to the grocery store, buying a bunch of foods that you crave for a while after careful planning and then going home and going nuts on those. So what is the problem with this approach? Well, for one, and this is especially true in the context of culprit foods that you generally tend to crave, or when you eat them, you tend to go overboard with them, contrary to what many people think, which is that it will somehow eliminate cravings or give you a nice psychological break, this actually often increases cravings for those foods even more. If you went without certain foods for a long time, it sort of becomes non-salient in your mind. Like, for example, peanut butter is one of my culprit foods. You know, long-time listeners of this podcast will know this. You know, it would be very hard for me in general, or it used to be at least, to eat only a small spoonful of peanut butter. It would probably quickly turn into five or ten spoonfuls. And, you know, the last time I had peanut butter must have been like, I don't know, eight months ago. Like, I don't even remember how that stuff tastes like, to be honest. So even though I know it's a culprit food, my level of craviness right now for that food is essentially zero. Now, if I wanted to re-invoke this craving, I would just head down to the grocery store right now, buy a jar, come back, and start eating it with a spoon. And then all the positive associations with peanut butter in my head would get quickly reignited. Funny thing is, I remember reading in Tony Robbins' book, Awaken the Giant Within, that he cured some person from his chocolate addiction by making him stuff himself full of chocolate to the point of nausea and, you know, how well this worked. So, you know, to translate this into nutrition and diet psychology language, the message was that an effective way to cure yourself from your cravings of a certain food is to make yourself binge on it hard enough. Now, while this could make sense on paper, I think anybody who actually tried this will know that binging on one of your culprit foods accomplishes one thing reliably. It makes your future cravings even stronger. Yes, if you binge hard on something and you're on the couch wrapped up in pain, in that moment you are disgusted by even the thought of that food and you'll swear by not eating it ever again. But once that discomfort dissipates somewhat, you'd love more than anything to eat those things again. Unfortunately, there's just no such thing as getting a binge out of your system, so to speak, or at least I'm yet to find one person for whom that worked out. Second thing, if this cheat meal or cheat day is something that you schedule into your life, that is a surefire way to drive yourself insane and to make not only your fitness progression, but your overall life just 10 times more miserable than it needs to be. First of all, and This is related to the physiological side of things. If you're regularly having high-calorie overindulging periods, that will at some point mean that you will either be in a caloric deficit, potentially even in a pretty substantial deficit for the rest of the week, or it will mean that you will steadily go through a 
degradation in your body composition. And obviously, none of these are particularly conducive to a healthy mindset around your fitness endeavors. And on top of that, by occasionally overindulging on super tasty, high-calorie foods, you're basically guaranteed to view your day-to-day nutrition as something that generally sucks and is not enjoyable, even if otherwise you would enjoy it. So, for example, I love eating fruits, veggies, and protein. Day-to-day, I like those foods. I made myself like them. I don't even feel like I'm sacrificing anything by not eating pizza and ice cream day-to-day. But I'm sure that if I scheduled in some huge feast on pizza and ice cream every Sunday, for example, I would start waiting for that Sunday to roll around so that I can indulge in it again. It's one of those things where you can create yourself a problem that didn't exist before completely needlessly. So these are the reasons why I generally think that cheat meals and cheat days are generally inappropriate for most people. And I also add that all these negative effects are magnified considerably if you're doing it in a dieted state where you would have otherwise been in a hypocaloric state. Because when your body is chronically deprived of calories and nutrients, basically any kind of negative psychological effect that would otherwise take place is now taking effect even stronger. So after giving a general negative pitch for cheat meals, let's talk about what to do instead. For one, I think that meals that are out of the norm for you and are not necessarily conducive to your body composition goals, once again, they do have a place in sort of a reactive manner where you basically just let life to happen. So for example, going out to eat, taking part in a social event that includes food, things like this will, for the most part, involve foods that are not exactly body composition friendly. But if you don't go crazy with them, they will have no negative impact in the long term. These things could even be scheduled in in some way when you know, for example, that every Friday night you go out to eat with your girlfriend or boyfriend or every Sunday morning you have a big breakfast with your family. You will anticipate it, make some smart modifications to your nutrition for the rest of the day, and it will be done. Now, when we talk about corporate foods or foods that you might specifically crave, then basically I see two realistic options. One is the, of course, the flexible dieting kind of approach where where you'll try to make some of these favorite foods of yours a small, measured, and moderated component of your diet. So maybe you'll have a few hundred calories worth of ice cream as a regular part of your day-to-day nutrition. And this can work especially well if you're not prone to go overboard and lose self-control with these indulgence items. Now, if these foods are culprit foods for you, to an extent that you simply go overboard with them and you have a very difficult time moderating your intake with these foods, then here's my advice. Cut that shit out. I know that this might make some people cringe and these days it's trendy to say that cutting some food out altogether should never be necessary and you should always be able to moderate something, but here's my take on the matter. If it's a culprit food that regularly triggers you to overeat, here are the things that you need to know. For one, what's a culprit food now may not always be a culprit food. You know, maybe something is a serious trigger food at the moment, but maybe you just have been dieting for a long time. Maybe once you're well-fed and there is, you know, plenty of leptin being secreted and all the hormones associated with hunger and satiety are now working in your favor, those foods will no longer be trigger foods. The second thing is, 
if you are not in that state yet, so these foods are still culprit foods for you, then basically it all comes down to a cost-benefit analysis. What's the benefit of including them? Obviously, you'll get to enjoy the taste of that food on a regular basis. What's the cost of including it? Well, if it's a trigger food, then you'll be constantly testing your self-control and willpower and just exhaust your mental resources this way needlessly, whereas you could have made it easier on you by just simply not including the food in the first place. And then, what's the potential cost or the risk of including it? Well, you may go overboard with it or may even spiral into a binge. Now, I, you know, I don't want to talk this into you, but be honest with yourself. If you know that this is a risk, then is the risk worth the benefit of getting that small sensory pleasure from that food? I don't think so. Lastly, I want to address the potential objection or unease that some of you might have about the idea of just cutting out a certain food. For one, I know that, once again, the rise of the flexible dieting and if it fits your macros movement has partially bred this notion that the inclusion of all food sources should be possible and it should never be necessary to cut anything out completely. So I know that the idea of cutting something out altogether brings up concerns and worries regarding the sustainability of such an approach. And secondly, I know that there is this notion out there that if you don't eat something that you would crave, then the craving will just get stronger and stronger. And I really think that the missing link here is acceptance. <laughs> Simply accepting that certain foods are just not conducive to your goals and because they have too much of a tendency to sabotage our goals, they also have an indirect propensity to sabotage our well-being, and therefore, they just have no place in our regular lives. And if you think about it, we have these clear boundaries with a lot of things. Take alcohol, for example. And I'm not in any way comparing alcohol or alcoholism to food, but alcohol is something you can get hooked on, and it's not essential to life, and the same thing with hyperpalatable, calorie-dense foods. They're also something that you can get at least behaviorally addicted to, and they're also non-essential to life. And you know, getting drunk is fun. Like, sure, you're kind of pathetic when you're so drunk that you can't even talk straight, but you have fun doing it. But most of us understand that getting drunk on a daily basis is not something that is conducive to a healthy lifestyle or a reasonably healthy lifestyle. So most of us just don't do it on a daily basis, at least. And I think if we are able to have the same type of acceptance when we think about simply cutting out certain foods from our regular lifestyle that are not conducive to our goals and well-being, then all of a sudden, it's not so much of a hurdle. You know, I have pizza, ice cream, and cookies every once in a while when it's some special occasion, but because I have this acceptance about their role in my life, I have no issue to then continue with my regular diet the next day. You know, just the other day, I was out in this, uh, I think, uh, Italian restaurant, and I had this just unbelievably tasty piece of, I don't even know what kind of cake it was, but, you know, the sweetness, the mouthfeel, the creaminess, it was just ridiculously yummy. And as I was eating it, I was thinking that this food, in terms of nutrition, is like party drugs in terms of my life. Like, you know, maybe in an alternate universe, I tried some synthetic party drugs, and those things are a ton of fun. I mean, they give you a sense of confidence, euphoria, presence in the moment that no amount of alcohol or caffeine or anything like this could ever give you. And you know, when in this hypothetical scenario, so in this alternate universe, I tried these substances, I had to then come to terms with the fact that this amazing euphoria I just experienced 
is not real life. Like it's fun, yes, I can party with it like ne I never did before, but if I indulge in them on a regular basis, I will just destroy my body and probably the neurons in my brain and you know, ultimately my life. So, you know, I just don't indulge in these things. So similarly, I had this um, mini epiphany with this piece of cake I was eating that, sure, if I'm being completely honest with myself, my frozen berries with cocoa powder and sweetener, which I absolutely do love, of course they don't even come close in terms of tastiness to this. But this is not real life. This thing I'm eating is basically a mirage. This is the illusion of a life that is not mine, basically, to be super unnecessarily deep. So to summarize this last segment, there's absolutely nothing wrong with cutting some shit out of your life that is making it difficult for you to be adherent towards your goals. And the final thing I will say is that all the questions about how much fat you can store in a single binge or how long it takes to undo the damage of a single binge, etc., all those things are completely irrelevant in my opinion because the issue with the binge is not that you may be storing 700 grams of fat as opposed to only 200 grams of fat. The issue is the identity that you're creating by regularly indulging in something that is fundamentally against your goals and probably to some degree your values. I think it's worth asking ourselves time to time when we are contemplating doing something of questionable value, what part of our personality are we feeding with this action? Not on that given day, but over the long term, if we make this a habit. You know, give that some thought. So uh, guys, that's my take on cheat meals and why I'm not a big fan of the concept. I think this is a really fascinating topic that goes way beyond the purely physiological practicalities. And as I usually do, I went maybe a little bit deeper than I should have. But at any rate, I hope you enjoyed this and uh, made you think. And my question to you, for today that I'd love for you to answer in the comment section is when was the last pre-planned cheat meal or cheat day that you had and how did you feel afterwards? Hey guys, I just want to tell you again that your inputs for this podcast will help it grow more than anything and your requests, ideas and comments will contribute to awesome content going live on this channel and podcast more than anything. So if you want to contribute, the best thing you can do is to go on Facebook and look up Sustainable Self-Development. You'll find both the page and the Facebook group that is dedicated to discussions and ideas being thrown around. Go there and note down your comments about what kinds of topics or guests you want to be featured on this podcast and YouTube channel in the future. Just keep in mind the general theme of this podcast and my YouTube channel, which is to help people becoming their best selves in terms of lifestyle as it pertains to fitness and general personal development. This podcast is really dedicated to self-improvement, both physically and mentally. So keep that in mind. So thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.